Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Good to be back with you. We left off on Friday with Jesus seated in a boat just a little offshore on the Sea of Galilee, looking toward the Mount of Beatitudes, that concave natural amphitheater. There were so many people there that he had to get into that boat and push away a bit to create distance between himself and the crowd so he could project and his voice could be heard, rather than be surrounded by all the people. And as Jesus sat in that boat and looked toward the Mount of Beatitudes, he saw farmers sowing their seed. And I noted on Friday that I don't think Jesus made up a single parable. He just took what he saw and applied it and turned it into a story, a parable. Para, alongside, as in paramedic or paralegal, and the verb bola, to throw. A parable is something thrown alongside an old, ordinary truth that you've heard so often you don't even hear it anymore. And that parable is a clever, illuminating story that shines a light on that old truth so that you do now understand it. So he began with the parable of the sower, sowing seed. And some of that seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places. It didn't have much soil. The seed sprang up quickly, but because it was shallow, the sun came out and it died. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, said Jesus, let him hear. Did you get it, he said. And then he went on and began another parable. He's going to regale the crowd with parables. So we move now to the parable of the weeds. Jesus said, Hey, I've got another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Well, that's a reference right to the previous parable. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So the crops grew and by golly, he had half wheat and half weeds all intermingled. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, um, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How'd these weeds get here? Oh, an enemy did this, he replied. I know just who it was. And the servant asked him, Do you want us to go in and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds up, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both, both grow together until harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters first, collect the weeds, tie them up in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The parable of the weeds. And then he goes on. I got another one for you. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Now, I love this parable of the mustard seed. 
As I'm sitting here in front of my microphone in my recording studio, I'm looking at my laptop, and I have a photo that we took right there at the Mount of Beatitudes in the springtime. And that entire hillside is filled with mustard plants and purple thistles. It's just beautiful. A mustard seed. A mustard seed is bigger than a poppy seed, but smaller than a BB. And when planted, they grow into a big bush that in the springtime is covered with yellow flowers. And that's like the kingdom of heaven. A mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Now, though it's the smallest of all your seeds, not the smallest of every seed, but of those commonly planted on the hillside. Though it's small, yet when it grows, it's the largest of plants and becomes a gigantic bush, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And he told them still another parable. Here's another. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. These are clever, memorable stories that shine a new light from a different angle on an old truth. He breaks right through. He spoke to them in parables. So was fulfilled with the, what was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Well, that's in Psalm 78 at verse 2. I will make a story that illustrates this old truth that you've heard so many times you don't hear it anymore, and you'll remember that story. The things that passed by that you never took note of, you will now truly understand. So we had the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, and the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Now, what was that parable of the weeds all about? He left the crowd and went into the house. That would be Peter's house, where he lived during his public ministry at Capernaum. His disciples came to him and said, um, could you explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field? You know, the, the seed, I got that one, but the weeds, I was a little puzzled about. So he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. So as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, 
let him hear. So we have a series of parables of the sower, of the weeds, of the mustard seed, and the yeast. In each instance, there is good, there is bad. Now turn again to the parable of the mustard seed. A tiny little seed, the word of God, thrown out that takes hold and grows into a big plant. And the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, nearly every time I've heard this parable preached upon, it's the mustard plant is a wonderful place that hosts the birds of the air. Oh my, isn't that nice? Well, no. The birds of the air come and hide in the midst of the mustard plant. And we learned in the parable of the sower that as the sower was sowing his seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Birds are a negative image in the parables. The birds are like the weeds. They take it away. And then the yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And haven't you heard this preached upon? Oh, you put a little bit of yeast in the dough and it makes a fine, fluffy loaf of bread. But if you leave that bread on the back of the stove and you don't take it off at the right time to put it in the oven, it gets bigger and bigger and smells and falls down behind the stove and makes the whole thing rotten. Like the birds, yeast is always a negative image. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Recall that? It's always a negative image. Now, about the weeds, Jesus explains. The one who sowed the seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. And the harvest, of course, is the harvest at the end of the time when the righteous will be separated from the wicked. So with that in place, that understanding of the parables in place, Jesus goes on to yet another. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now imagine, you're out in a field, it belongs to nobody in particular, and you just happen to be hunting for plants or seeds, and you find a treasure, a huge treasure. Well, what do you do? You bury it even deeper, sell everything you have, and then buy that field. And again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So when you find the word of God, and like the good seed planted on fertile soil, it takes hold. It's worth 
all the kingdoms of the earth. You've discovered something wonderful, something around which you can build your life, a soil from which you can grow. Anything standing in the way, no, your, your own ego, your, your desires for something else, you, you want to be entertained, whatever it might be, get rid of it and hang on to the treasure because that's worth everything. That treasure, kingdom of heaven, the word of God, your relationship with God through Christ, that should be the very center of your life, worth giving up everything else in order to attain. And then he continues. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked and the righteous and throw the, the, righteous, uh, the wicked into the fiery furnace or they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Each parable is addressing the same set of issues. The net in the lake. We've been out on a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee and watched the fishermen throw nets you know, back in Jesus' day, they were commercial fishermen, and uh, that's how they made their living. Today, not so much. People fish from a boat with a, uh, a fishing rod and a line, but they don't catch fish anymore in the Sea of Galilee. It's much more efficient to have fish farms in the Jezreel Valley. Then you don't have to catch the fish at all. They're right there, and they all grow at the same rate, and they're harvested, and off to market they go. So you don't have that commercial fishing anymore in the Sea of Galilee. But we do have, when we travel to the Sea of Galilee, we go for a boat ride right at sunset on the Sea of Galilee in a replica first century fishing boat. And we have a wonderful time out there on the water. The boat stops, the engines are shut off, and I teach from the boat. I ask you to close your eyes, listen to the water lapping against the boat. Imagine Jesus and the disciples seated in the boat, feeling the breeze coming through the Arbel Pass. And imagine being there. Imagine Jesus teaching from that place. The boat we take out is owned by Daniel Carmel. He's the only Christian boat operator on the Sea of Galilee. And when we go for a boat ride, I always ask Daniel to cast a net for us so we can see how it's done. And boy, he can cast a good net. He gets up there in the bow of the boat and the net goes spinning and off it goes and it drops like a gigantic umbrella over the water. And the weights on the edges of the net pull it down and it would catch fish. And when he's brought it back up, sure enough, there are almost always fish in it. The fish in the Sea of Galilee is a particular type of tilapia that only exists there in the Sea of Galilee and Lake Victoria, Africa. For one time, those bodies of water were connected geologically. But the tilapia, St. Peter's fish, which we try for lunch on one day, 
Uh, that's good fish. But also in the Sea of Galilee are gigantic, big, three-foot-long, ugly fish without scales. Now, if you follow the kosher laws, you cannot eat fish unless it has scales and fins. You can't eat carp. You can't eat uh, uh, nasty kinds of fish. So when the net is pulled in, you get some of each. Again, we have the dichotomy of the good and the bad, the righteous and the wicked. Jesus asked them, do you understand this? Do you understand what I was teaching today through these parables? It was the same lesson with each parable. Yes, they replied. And Jesus said to his disciples seated there in Peter's house, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Every teacher, every teacher of the Word of God, every teacher of medieval literature, as I was at UCLA, every teacher of classical literature, brings out the old as well as the new. The old teaching, the respected, understood, standard teaching, that is, the accumulated knowledge of centuries regarding a particular work, a literary work. But in teaching it to a new audience, you definitely give that understanding, that traditional accumulated knowledge of understanding. But you also illustrate it in new ways that bring it to life. And that's what Jesus does with these parables. As I noted, Jesus was not the first person to teach in parables. It was a common teaching method among the rabbis, but he was particularly good at it. So when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. And coming to his hometown in Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they, they were amazed. Where, where did he get all this? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where, where did he get all this? They, he, he grew up in Nazareth. They knew him. Where did he get all this understanding, all this knowledge? Where in the world did it come from? Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Well, we have this story about Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth over in the Gospel according to Luke. And if we turn over to Luke chapter 4, which I'm about to do, you hear the pages turn, we read Luke 4 at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him had spread through the entire countryside. 
He taught in their synagogues. Everyone praised him. Well, we've just seen him doing that at the Mount of Beatitudes. And then he went back home to Nazareth. Oh, they had heard all about what was happening uh, over there by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Thousands of people on a hillside, clinging to every word. So he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. When Jesus was growing up, uh, he, every Sabbath, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, they would all go to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, as part of the services, you have two readings, one from the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and you cover all five books of the Torah in a one-year cycle. So each Sabbath has an assigned reading that will take you through the entire Torah in one year. So it's an assigned Torah portion. And with that is an assigned Haftorah portion, typically from the prophets, about two-thirds of the time from the book of Isaiah. So Jesus showed up at the synagogue, and oh, everybody was saying, oh, it's so good to have you back. We've, we've heard about all you've been doing there by the Sea of Galilee. And then the rabbi asked him if he would care to do the second reading, the Haftor reading, and maybe say a few words on it. And Jesus said, I'd, yeah, I'd love to. So when it came time for the reading, the Torah portion was read. Now he stood up to read from the Haftorah. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place, the portion for that Sabbath, and he began to read. And he's reading Isaiah 61. He begins with verse 1. Now listen to the way he reads it. Listen to the inflection of his voice. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down in the rabbi's chair. Not back in the congregation. No, he's now going to say a few words on the reading. Well, when he read, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. He has sent me for recovery of sight for the blind. People began, they looked at each other. He's reading from Isaiah, and he's applying those words to himself. Oh, he could see people were raised eyebrows. And what chutzpah? The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He waited, and he let the tension build. And then he said, lest anyone doubt. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Yes, Isaiah was writing about me. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, 
All spoke well of him and were amazed at the words that came from his lips. That's the opening line of his homily or sermon, if you will. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he went on. Oh, I wish we had the rest of it. We only have the opening line. But when he finished, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Where did he get all this? And others were very disapproving. He, what's about saying things like that? Well, Jesus could see the disapproving looks from some in the crowd. And he said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine all throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to Gentile territory. Oh, people were taken aback. And he continued, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian, another Gentile. Well, that is a slap in the face to the crowd in the synagogue of Nazareth. When the people heard this, they were furious. They got up. They took hold of him. They drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built to throw him down the cliff. When we visit Israel, we visit Nazareth, and we see the Church of the Annunciation. I teach about the Annunciation right there where it occurred. And we go to the brow of the cliff. Nazareth is built on a finger ridge overlooking the Jezreel Valley. And there's only one place on that finger ridge that's a vertical drop down to the bottom. And it's a long way down. I'd have to measure it, but it's a good 700-foot drop. So they took him there. They were going to throw him off the cliff. Here we were, seated on the rocks at the edge. And I wouldn't let people get too close to the edge. I'd stand at the edge, and they'd stand away from the edge, and I'd teach. And there was one fellow, as I was teaching, on my left. And he moved around a bit behind me and was seated on the rocks. And as I was teaching, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, I noticed him sitting there. And it's windy up there because you're at a high elevation. And all of a sudden, the wind took his hat and sent it right over the cliff. And he instinctively leapt for it. Oh, I about had a heart attack. Fortunately, the hat flew away and some people near him grabbed hold of him, and he didn't fly away too. But that cliff, they, they were going to throw him off that, that very cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus spoke with authority, as you'll recall. And when they took hold of him and dragged him toward that cliff, he broke away, turned and looked directly at them with fire in his eyes, pointed and said, Enough! And he walked through that crowd that parted like the Red Sea. And as far as I know, Jesus never went back to Nazareth again.
So we have some great examples here of Jesus' teaching. And that brings us to the end of our podcast for this Monday. But boy, we have such good material coming up. Thank you for being here with me, folks. I look forward to Wednesday, and we'll be talking about the murder of John the Baptist, along with some other things. So thank you again. Blessings to you. And I'll be back with you in a couple of days. Bye-bye now.